Hello everyone and welcome to the Andrei Shkel podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk with Dr. Jason Wessel, a clinical psychologist, about procrastination and its implications in health. Enjoy. So I'm, a, I'm a psychologist. Uh, I, I started my professional career um, as a rehabilitation counselor, actually helping people that had workplace injuries. Um, and by the time they got to me and the type of clientele I worked with, I often worked with blue collar blokes that had a workplace injury. They're often builders or something like that, that had such a significant physical injury that they couldn't go back to that same line of work that they'd often done for, you know, decades really built their whole identity on that being their job and that being what they do. And by the time they got to me, it was often two years post injury and there was no chance that they could go back. And we had to almost pick up the pieces of their lives and get them back on track, but back on a different track, right? They couldn't, you know, stay on that, that old track. And I would work with people and we'd talk about their dreams. We'd talk about their ambitions. We'd talk about their fears and we'd end up planning out or, you know, ideating about what they could do for the rest of their lives to bring themselves some meaning. And, you know, after a few meetings, if the client was in a good place, they'd often get extremely excited about this opportunity that, you know, sure they had a a horrible ride and was very, very difficult, but uh, you know, they've got a real opportunity to pivot and and do something different. And maybe they weren't a hundred percent happy in what they were doing before. And so I'd work with them and they'd get really excited in a session. Um, and we'd have a really clear plan and they knew that, okay, they've got some cousin that, that well has a pressure washing business that they need to you know, just reach out to the cousin and ask for a trial day or something like that. Very easy. You know, I thought, great, awesome. Come back next week. We'll talk about that. I'll help you however I can, whether it's we need to get them a license or some sort of you know, workplace safety gear. That was my job. Um, but I'd see them a week later and they hadn't made that phone call they didn't reach out to their cousin and ask them why why not you know you were so you know you were so excited and like oh you know i just i just didn't get around to it or you know insert small excuse here and uh you know to start off with i was really uh, disappointed you know that that was so common um but i think you know like as a practitioner if you're if you're about helping people you have to make a choice do you expect people do you think that they are lying do you think that they were uh, just saying these things because they knew it's what you wanted to hear and it's your, your job to, to help them, even if, you know, on paper. Um, or do you believe them that they were really excited and something else got in their way? And I think I make that choice every day that, you know, I, I believe people and I, I believe that they want the best for themselves. And so I thought, well, what's going on here? That for some reason, they're not following through with what they really want to be doing with really what should be one of the most important things in their lives and why and why I just, I didn't, I didn't understand why. And that's, um, it's quite a, a common issue for practitioners, particularly in the health space that, that we, we bump up against. So a few years later of meandering and, you know, feeling like I, I wasn't able to help a, a large chunk of people, I, I stumbled across uh, the literature on procrastination and it just, it filled a lot of gaps and explained a lot of things um and so i pursued that and then i I completed my phd specifically in procrastination specifically in helping people close the gap between things that are important to them and that the daily actions the regular progress that they uh they make to progress towards their goals 
Um, so over the course of a few years, I ran a few random control trials. Uh, I did that. I wanted to, another thing I learned from working in rehabilitation counseling was that uh, you know, I work one-on-one and I'm only ever going to be able to help kind of one person at a time, which is, which is nice and fulfilling. But I, I think I, I saw that the, the problem was much bigger than that. And I wanted to, to help people on a larger scale. And I also thought one of the constraints of doing that one-on-one work is I can only help people for one hour a week. And I, you know, if they didn't, they didn't lack motivation in that one hour. They lacked motivation in all of the other hours. And I needed to help them between sessions, not just in sessions. Um, so I wanted to do that in a way that scaled, in a way that could help multiple people, in a way that didn't require me to, you know, phone them at 2 a.m. every morning. Um, and so I did that with by building a type of application that would engage with them or, or rather that they engaged with, um, that they would input their dreams into and their you know their strategies into um but only in a few seconds a day 60 or so seconds a day every day just to keep them connected to their goals um and it worked well it worked it worked very well do you Um, still work with a wide variety of people or do you focus now on weight loss yeah so my my private practice i'm a generalist psychologist mainly so I, i i see all sorts of people for all sorts of reasons but uh the the type of application that I build to help people specifically, you know, pursuing their goals. Uh, I find it works best when it's very, very specific to the nature of the goal. And that's why I focused on weight loss because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much weight you've got to lose. Uh, It doesn't really matter your age or your gender. Broadly speaking, the strategies or the things that get in your way are going to be very similar. And the goal is very discreet. You know, you can set a goal that's measurable. Uh, there are safe weight loss trajectories of, say, 0.4 kilos a week um, that I can work with. That I can build an algorithm to project people's goals, and I can support people in a very similar way. So, I, the app is specifically for weight loss, but uh, as a as a generalist, I still see other people. But I also I tend to professionally um, see a higher proportion of people for weight loss and procrastination, just because those are my core interest areas at the understand probably a, a big part of our listeners on this podcast are trying to work on their health their fitness related goals so because of that i just wanted to get more towards the health and fitness related um, aspect that we discussed so what's your thoughts in regards to you know someone who sees themselves as a procrastinator but they still want to make progress in their journey how do you how do we start what's the first aspect we need to take into account yeah yeah well, i think the the challenge is it's very complex you know it it differs so much by by individuals you know how much experience do they have with with their their health and fitness before you know did they have uh, you know, a, a young career in high school of being an athlete and then they've let themselves go. Have they always been, uh, you know, slightly overweight and a little bit bullied and never had the courage to go to a gym and wouldn't know, uh, you know, which end of a dumbbell to, to load a weight on first? Um, you know, people differ on such a broad spectrum. And I think, you know, asking where do you start is, uh, well, you know, th- there is no blanket solution um, that, can be specific, but I think what you can do is you can ask them where, where should they start? What are they thinking of starting? You know, if they've, if they've thought of reaching out to a a professional to help them, then that's probably not their first thought. 
You know, they've probably tried other things. They're probably things that they're afraid of. They're probably friends that they look up to. They're probably idols, you know, people that they follow on Instagram that they're really interested in, in trying their routine, but they're, they're afraid of, you know, not knowing the right kind of whey protein, you know, so I don't know that I can sit here and generically prescribe where to start, but I think I could probably uh, talk about some, some useful probing questions that can help yeah, anyone start to think about where they should start. And those are the sorts of questions that, you know, practitioners, coaches, mentors can also think about, think about using to try and elicit from the individual where they should start as professionals. You know, the first step is meeting people where they're at. So, you know, you need to ask them a little bit about, well, where are you? Yeah, I think, I think some of those people obviously will get into contact and from, from there you can build up and ask questions. But I think there are a lot of people which, as, as you say, they might have not got to the level of getting into co- contact, into asking some advice, getting to, to know some of their, let's say, role models of the people that they follow and getting into finding more why that might be. Just trying to identify some factors could be a big, big important mm. uh, element. And if them. they don't, yeah, if they don't follow people on, uh, you know, Instagram, do they have you know, a, a sister or a cousin or, you know, a good friend, even a, an old acquaintance at school that, you know, they were, they were out of shape, uh, you know, at the beginning of one summer break. And by the time they came back after that summer break to school, they're, you know, they're transformed and they'd look completely different. And, you know, you may be only slightly noticed, but you more noticed the comments that the whole school was making about that individual you know, if, if you really ask people to dig and think about that sort of stuff, they could probably think of a, a situation where they have seen someone else do what they want to do. Um, and that starts the line of questioning of well, what do you think they did do? Did you ever find out? What are your theories? What do you know about their family? You know, if, you know, what, what do you think, even if you don't know, what do you think that might've worked for them? And even if they're completely wrong and have no idea, if you just ask them to start generating some ideas, because the ideas come from that individual, in order for an individual to generate ideas, it has to already fit in their worldview of what could work for them. Otherwise, they wouldn't suggest it as an idea. Um, and so that's, it can be a much more efficient way of tapping into people's motivation, you know, pulling, pulling that motivation and information out of them rather than you know, going over the top and teaching or instructing um, in brand new strategies or techniques that that person doesn't have a framework or a scaffold of understanding to start to hang those new ideas off. So everything seems to start with with the question why, which is related to motivation <laughs> and just try to dig deep as, as much as possible. Is that what you're saying? No, to a degree, yeah. Why? Why is a good question. I think you can be a bit more specific uh, for for you know in in the use of the question why and ask more specific whys, but also how. How is very important. I know um, before we started recording, uh, you and I were talking a little bit about clarity, and you know just lacking a clarity of how to go about achieving a goal. That's not necessarily about why. That's more about how. And so when mm-hmm. I was saying before about that, you know that that acquaintance at school 
uh, how did they do it? That's a really important line of questioning because um, that person then has to think about, well, okay, what are the types of things that I would likely need to do? Maybe it's about diet. Maybe it's about regular exercise. Maybe it's about joining a world-class gym. Maybe it's about paying $400 an hour for, you know, this amazing trainer. Um, you have no idea what uh, crazy ideas people have, but that's gold. If you can find out, you know, that's, that's a wonderful thing to dig into. And do you think that there is a structure? Because obviously we talked about why and how. Do you think that why is all the time first? Because in a lot of cases, you start with the meaning. That's, that's the way I see it. You start with the meaning, then you have the meaning, but you don't have the clarity. And that's where you start to ask how. Do you think that's mm. the, the, the right process, the full process, or it just happens the other way around? I'm just trying to figure out from, from a, a person point of view that listens to this podcast and maybe they try <laughs> to figure out the process of identifying some elements that they want to work on and mm. what they, why they want to do that as well. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I don't think it's a linear process. I don't think it goes from one to the other. You know, I, I think it more important than asking it in a specific order. It's to ask both questions regularly because your why changes day to day and week to week and your how changes day to day week to week and if you start a, a habit or tell yourself that okay i'm going to go to the gym three days a week so, uh, yeah three days a week for the next month and see how that goes you might go to the the gym two days one week and realize the third day that the only third day that fits in your week is the busiest night of the gym and the equipment you really love is taken if you hold yourself to that standard that how standard of three days a week for later weeks you're going to be disheartened because you won't be able to execute on your vision and so it's okay to change your how in a way that makes sense for you what's not okay is to never challenge that how is to set some sort of plan for yourself and hold yourself to the unrealistic unwavering standard of executing on that same how even in light of new information and so, you know, you ask, you know, what, what order might people approach it? Do they ask uh, why first or how first? And, you know, I think it's common and usual for people to fall in that trap of asking themselves rhetorical questions or for us to, again, as practitioners to, you know, ask these important questions to get people thinking about stuff. But I think people need to focus less about the, uh, on the questions that they ask themselves and more on the questions they genuinely put effort into answering. It's more important that they answer the questions almost than it is. Obviously you have to ask them in order to answer them, but you know, often we fall in the trap of just asking the question and then moving on with our day and, you know, not actually thinking uh, deeply and seriously about the answer. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of my work and this might be my bias because, you know, this is the background I come from, you know, and my approach in the PhD and the approach to procrastination, it's really just, you know, I, I help people with the right questions uh, regularly, uh, not intensely. I don't expect people to spend an hour picking apart their why and an hour picking apart their how, but just, you know, a minute a day reflecting on how and the why specific to them and the barriers that are in front of them today that maybe weren't in front of them yesterday, um, just to problem solve or to touch base and, and make sure that they're actively thinking about that larger goal that they're trying to achieve, whether it's, you know, health or fitness or weight loss or something else. Um, 
carving out the time to answer the questions more so than ask them is is really i think the critical element that that people need to be leveraging more than what they do to an extent i think it makes a lot of sense because you can have the answers for why and how but as long as you are still procrastinating i think that's not going to be helpful for you so just getting back a bit to procrastination um, do you mind describing a few of the elements which are related to our procrastination levels yeah, sure. Um, so at least in, in my way of thinking about it, and there are a few people that think about procrastination differently, but um, you know, for the way I come uh, at it, the, the how we can think of as you know, clarity of exactly what do I need to do to get to where I want to be. Uh, and we're talking very, very detailed, blow by blow, step by step. Um, and not just the clarity, but what we refer to as expectancy. You know, do I actually have a firm expectation that if I eat salad for every meal, if I have this brand of whey protein, if I do X amount of sets and X amount of reps that I will achieve that Adonis physique that I'm really chasing, you know, obviously there's no guarantees in life and there's no real, uh, you know, confirmed verifiable path that someone can follow to get there. But there are obviously things that you can do that are more likely to increase your chances to get there. Um, if you're looking for that real Adonis bodybuilding, well-defined musculature, then going for a 10 K run with some friends on a weekend might not be as, uh, it might not be as clear to you how that will help you in your goals than going to the gym and working on a very specific muscle group. And so if you're procrastinating, uh, it's very likely that one of the reasons could be related to the, the, the thing that you're putting off might not be perfectly aligned or it might not be clear to you how that adds value to you achieving your vision. And if it doesn't, or if you're not clear exactly what steps you need to take, then you need to go and find out what those steps are. You need to work with a mentor. You need to you know, reach out to your friends who might know better. You might need to talk to people who have done what you've done before. You might need to dig through your own experience about where maybe you've not been an Adonis, maybe you've not had well-defined muscles, but you've been stronger or you know, that, that time where you played a lot of, uh, you know, basketball and you had great thighs, uh, you know, you need to dig through those experiences and think about what helped you and what works for you in the past. And that's going to build your sense of clarity. And that's going to give you a bit more, a stronger sense of how you can achieve what you want to achieve. So that, that's kind of one element. There are four in total that I work with. Um, another one you know, is when we're talking about why, that's your, that's your value. You know, do you really value this goal that you've set for yourself? Is it really important to you that you have these beautifully designed, defined muscles? Uh, what does that actually mean to you in your life? You know, does that mean that, you know, you'll get the girl? Does that mean that you'll fit in with your friends? Does that mean that, you know, you'll just be able to move and be in the world more confidently and, uh, with greater strength. I mean, I'm not in that physical shape right now, but you know, I, I have been fitter before. And one thing I really remember quite fondly about that period of my life where I was really fit was I just felt, you know, every, every movement was controlled. You know, I, I felt strong, not from some sort of domineering perspective, but just for some, like, I felt like I, I was I really embodying the, the physical container 
that you know my skeleton and bones and flesh and muscles are in you know the the best way that i could and there's something about that just felt really good uh, not even kind of commenting on you know how other people related to me and so that might drive you and if that if you've been there before and you remember that feeling and you want to get back to that feeling then you really value that if you don't and if you're doing it for a superficial reason like well you know i think you know maybe it is about getting the girl you know or maybe it is about uh you know just oh, i really like cake but i don't like having a belly that i see you know in the in the mirror every morning well maybe your why is not strong enough maybe you don't value that quite enough maybe you're not thinking about well if you continue on this path you're going to be 45 years old with a bung knee and not be able to run around with your kids kicking the football um and maybe those are the sorts of questions you need to be asking yourself maybe those are the things you need to be thinking about that help you get out of bed and make sure that you're actually connected to your why on a daily basis because you're going to need to motivation daily daily motivation is is kind of like bathing right it doesn't last you, you need to do it every day and i think i can differentiate two types of whys uh from the experiences that you mentioned as well it seems to be a negative why and a positive why mm. and um a lot of people I talk with for consultations, um, they seem to come through that negative side of it, you know, thinking more about cardiovascular issues, thinking more about being bullied where they're in school. Do you think there is any magnitude of difference regarding having a positive or a negative why? I think they're, I think they're both important. And if you can leverage both of them, you're using... Uh, you know, all of the options available to you, both the carrot and the stick. Um, there, is the, there is some old behavioral psychology research, um, which is, I think it was on rats, is rat studies. And if they, uh, if they had a rat in a maze and they, or they, I think they attached them to a spring or some sort of string or something, and they put a piece of cheese just out of reach and they measured how much strength the, the rat put into uh, pulling the string uh, to get to the cheese. And it was say, you know, uh, yeah, X amount of pounds of, 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 of pressure or strength. Um, and they thought, great, okay, the, the, the mouse or rat is motivated. And then they take the, the, the cheese away and they, they get the scent of a cat um, and they waft the scent of the cat towards the mouse in the same direction. So it has to pull away from the string and it pulls away from the string around the same, you know, X amount of pounds, um, you know, similar to being motivated by the cheese. Um, but then if you, if you keep the, the scent of the cat wafting towards the, the, the rat on the mouse and you put the cheese there, then there's, you know, almost double the, I don't know the actual numbers, but it's higher, you know, higher motivation when you've got, when you've got both. And so I think, you know, why, why focus only on one, you know, and uh, from a, from a, a different perspective, if we think about, um, you know, avoiding the negative, people feel very uh, strongly that they need to avoid the negative, but if they don't have a clear picture of the positive that they're working towards a vision that they're trying to achieve, then you know, they lack often, they lack clarity, right? They, they lack what, they, what they're trying to get to. And uh, a strong desire to escape a present without a clear path to a future is frankly depressing. You know, a lot of people just get really depressed and lack motivation because they don't know what they're moving to. And so, 
you know, from a, from a real behavioral perspective, if you can use positive and negative whys, then use both of them. But from a vision or a reason or a goal setting perspective, it's much more powerful to set a, a concrete aspirational goal that's a well-defined vision of how things could be compared to just saying, oh, I don't want to be that anymore. I don't want to be fat anymore. I don't want to be bullied anymore. That is depressing. Not big, I mean, it, of course, it's depressing, you know, feeling like you're fat and bullied. Like, that's no fun for anyone. But it's depressing because you don't know what to do. You just know what not to do. And that's not, you know, that doesn't activate behavior. You know, you, you need, you know, and, and if you're using that negative why of people running away from things, fine, use it. Make sure that they've got something clear to run to, though. And that has to be meaningful to them. I can give you a life, a real life scenario of exactly mm. what you've been describing. So I have several clients who have been for the weight loss process and the negative why for them has been working for a long time because they, for example, they didn't want to, to be big again. Yeah, so they lost a significant amount of, of weight, but they got to a level where the weight is stagnating. And the negative why, which is not, ga not gaining weight, is a barrier for them to actually get to gain weight and build muscles and be able to lose fat in the future, if that makes sense. So I think that makes a lot of sense in the cases where a negative why could actually uh, influence negatively your progress. It might be helpful mm. until you reach a point in this specific mm. case, but once mm. you reach that point, if you still don't know how to change that why in order to be able to see the long vision, as you said, uh, that's gonna affect you. Mm. Mm. And it's a real powerful moment if you can recognize it as a coach uh, or if you can recognize it in yourself that you're starting to make progress and escape, escape that prison or that, that history that you want to get away from, that if you don't pivot and acknowledge or you know, start to see the potential and the opportunity to be something bigger or greater or, you know, to fulfill a vision that you previously didn't dare to to think about you know unless you actually stop or put effort into pivoting and you know setting setting a more ambitious target uh then yeah i dare say you're likely to to stagnate you know the 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 sense of the cats and they're going to get you so far you know you need you need a block of cheese a block of cheese is probably a bad metaphor for someone looking to lose weight but <laughs> yeah, you know what i mean yeah. Now, getting back to the other factors we talked about, about the clarity element, we talked about the value element, and you said there are two more elements related mm. to procrastination. Yeah. So the, the expectancy and the value or clarity and value, they really are specific based on the goal. Um, and so, you know, if the goal is weight loss or, you know, muscle, muscle building, then uh, specific to, to that you know, ideal end state, then expectancy of value are super important, the how and the why. But on top of that, there are also uh, the individual characteristics of human psychology. So your, your likelihood as a person to prefer short-term satisfaction or gratification over a long-term gain. And so, you know, this is what we refer to as impulsivity. So if you are generally more impulsive as a person, if you're at this, what we'd call a choice point in your, in your day where you can either go to the gym or you can sit on the couch and scroll your Instagram, uh, 
Um, if you're the type of person that, you know, you're not meeting a trainer at the gym, you went yesterday, uh, you know, you, you've had a long day at work, you might just want to take, uh, you know, maybe five minutes on the couch first, um, then that's a trap, you know, and we all differ on where we fall on that spectrum. Some of us will be really disciplined and, you know, it would be really unusual for us to take that five minutes on the couch and other people it's every day. That's the trap that they fall into is five minutes on the couch turns into 10, 20, 30, two hours on the couch. And all of a sudden it's too late to go to the gym. And so if you acknowledge in yourself that you tend to, uh, you know, you, you can be mean about it to yourself and say, oh, it's weak willed, uh, I suppose, then that's fine. You know, we are where we are on that spectrum. Um, but we need to acknowledge that and build things into our, into our lives and into our routines to help ourselves set ourselves up for success. And so there are a few things you can do uh, to, to overcome your own sense of impulsivity or, you know, your, um, you know, improve your ability to delay gratification and keep your eye on the big prize. Um, one of the kind of classic examples uh, is what we'd call a commitment device. And so that's just anything that you can do when you're in a rational you know, state kind of being mean to your future self that you install a blocker for your social medias uh, that don't let you access it between certain hours when you know you should be going to the gym. Um, you really need to delve deep into your own vices um, and pick apart the things that often you let yourself down with by succumbing to a short-term temptation. Um, it could be food, often it's food. Um, you know, particularly I, I, I work a lot with um, clients just aiming to lose weight. Um, and so dietary choices are a big one for impulsivity. So it can be things like uh, either an implementation, in, sorry, a commitment device. So just not having chocolate in the house as a rule or uh, having if your partner really likes chocolate, make sure that there's an agreement in the house that everything on their shelf is theirs and you do not touch it. And that's where the chocolate lives. And maybe that's enough just to, you know, instead of having a shared shelf and it's all, you know, every, everyone, um, yeah, well, everyone can have whatever is on that shelf. If there's something that's out of bounds for you, that might help you. Something that I also work um, a lot with is called an implementation intention, which is just coming up with an if then rule. For example, um, you know, if I uh, get home from work, I will not allow myself to check social media for the first hour when I'm at home from work. And I'll use that hour instead. I don't have to go to the gym, um, but I, I will, you know, get home. Maybe I'll have a shower. I'll have a light, a healthy snack. Um, and I will, you know what, if there's nothing else to do, I'll just be bored. Um, or or go to the gym. And often uh, once you just remove your vice, uh, if you have the self-control to, to do that um, with that kind of if then statement, um, that can be enough just to help, help you manage your own impulsivity. And um, impulsivity is a bit of a tricky one because it does seem to be somewhat stable, but we can learn um, in life to, to overcome it with time and get better at managing it. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's manageable. It's just something that you have to own if it's uh, if it's something that you suffer with. Um, the interesting part is that you we try to control impulses through planning, but it's such a spontaneous element and how 
are we supposed you know to to plan an impulse but in a lot of cases as you said just not having that element in the house is still um, an act of planning at the beginning and not having it but sometimes is you know with today's society when uh, commodities the most important element is very hard to control impulses especially yeah, in the yeah. weight loss process and uh, nutrition side of it it's i, I posted a I mean, I have, a, I have a very dodgy Instagram. You know, I, I don't know anything about Instagram, but I'm finding myself having to build one and it's embarrassing um, just because I'm bad at it, right? Um, Instagram's great, but if you've, got, if, the, if you've got the skills. I posted recently, uh, you know, one of those classic images of healthy food and it says 1,200 calories and this is all the picture of all the healthy food and then next to it, it's 1,200 calories and it's like a, a, it's a Coca-Cola and a pie or something like that. And, uh, you know, there's someone that commented on it underneath going, uh, yeah, great. Now do a, now do a price comparison. And I thought, man, that's, that's so true. You know, it's so true. 1200 calories, you know, it's, it's a lot of food when it's healthy and, um, you know, it, it makes sense if you don't think about it, that why, why wouldn't you eat the healthy food and, and have all that for 1200 calories, but it's expensive. You know, and I think in the in the Instagram post, I, I said something like, oh, yeah, and not just the price comparison, but what about the convenience uh, comparison? Like, you know, can you have a platter of, uh, you know, a salad uh, in the car between jobs? Uh, no, you can't. And so life, life will throw up curveballs and you need to go to work and you need to you know, uh, go to school and you need to take care of the kids and you need to take care of your sick mom and you can't always do the things that, uh, you know, are perfect. Uh, that's, that's unrealistic. And so, you know, there's a line between being impulsive and, you know, just being pragmatic uh, with your life. And I think I, I called them before choice points, uh, which is a kind of a classic psychological term of, you know, if on balance you you know that you could go either way and you know really what you should do, then that's an opportunity. And uh, uh, you know, a great mentor of mine, Tim Pitchell, he refers to those as moments of precipitation and that every day that there are hundreds of moments of precipitation that you can either turn into you being productive and working towards your goals or you can succumb to some sort of short-term gratification um, and if you're conscious of those points and how important each one of those little point, points moment to moment are in your grander vision uh, and how important they are in you achieving your your goals then that can often be enough just to push you one way rather than the other push you towards the gym rather than the couch it's hard. I'm not saying it's not hard, but uh, you know, there are, there are things you can do and it's probably outside of the scope of, you know, just uh, one, one podcast to go into how to help people with that. But um, yeah, it's, it's not, uh, it's not futile, right? It's just something that you have to work with and not ignore. Yes. That's, that's exactly the way it is. You work with what you have sometimes and you can always turn those impulses and getting something out of them as being positive as well just a simple mm. example you know if you if you plan to to eat your chocolate i mean if you have the impulse to have your chocolate and you know that's not going to be really helpful for your goal of losing weight let's let's just track that piece of chocolate let's see how many calories it has so it's still mm. you still are in control of the impulse to an extent if that makes sense 
No, no, I, absolutely. One thing that I really like, and I use this in, in my weight loss app, is I, I ask people, because calorie counting is great. We know in the literature that that can be really helpful, but we also know that it's very exhausting and a lot of people give up really quickly because, well, again, you've got jobs to do, kids to pick up and people get sick, yada, yada, yada. Calorie counting takes time. They found that if you just take a photograph of everything that you eat, then that can be enough to switch on your sense of mindfulness or awareness of what you're actually doing. So part of impulsivity is just being mindful of what you're doing and being conscious of it. So I've, I've had this one, um, one user of the app that she was talking through a situation. She said that, uh, and I think I, you know, the, the app prompted her to think about a time where she, uh, I think it's something along the lines of think of a small and seemingly insignificant, uh, but regular behavior that you engage in that if it happened once, would not be a problem, but because it happens regularly, adds up to be a problem. And she, you know, as part of the app, she had to describe something like that in her life. And she said, you know what? I've never really thought about it before, but I often just without thinking will be watching television. I'll get off on the couch. I'll go to the, the pantry and I'll get a biscuit, just one biscuit. I don't think it's just one biscuit. I don't think about it and go back to the, and that's just what I do. And she said, but you know, I got that question and I had to think about that question. And it stopped me, and, but it didn't stop me immediately. I'd got off the couch and I was halfway to the pantry and I just thought, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And she, it was almost like she was on autopilot before and, and now just that extra level of awareness, which again, calorie counting can, can help unlock that extra level of awareness. Um, but it's so powerful. And, and you know, really, ultimately, that's one of the strategies that I use to help people deal with their impulsivity. Yeah, video recording pictures taking is very strong. I have clients which just sign up to the program. And um, in some cases, I just take pictures of the meals. They send me the pictures of the meal. Sometimes we record the videos of them exercising as well. And, you know, it just changes that their focus instantly. Uh, I had someone mm. who was sending me their pictures. They sent it to me for about two weeks. And I was like, I don't see anything that could be changing this. Like you're within the calories, you hit what you need, you you eat vegetables and fruits. And, you, and she was like, yeah, but I wasn't doing that before I started to get the pictures, you know? <laughs> so wow. it happens all so the time. So powerful. Yeah. That's great. I'm, I'm so glad to hear you use that. Um, it, it's, it's amazingly powerful, you know, just that sense of, even if they're not sending it to, uh, you know, a coach that, they're taking the photo and it's there's now a record secretly on their phone that if anyone ever picked up their phone, they would see how many biscuits they eat. Uh, it can be enough just to get people to stop and think about, well, what are they really doing? And is that what they want to be doing? And on the, on the topic of impulsivity that actually plays really well into the fourth domain, which is just having deadlines, you know, having something that, to compress your time to force your decision-making. Um, and obviously when we talk about procrastination, having a deadline uh, is really it's, it's a big, almost defining feature. Most often we think about procrastination of putting off, you know, submitting something for work, submitting a report, not doing anything for two weeks and then spending the last two days cramming on it because you've got the deadline, right? So there's something intrinsically motivating or extrinsically, I suppose, you know, motivating about having that, uh, that demand on your time. Um, but that deadline has to be meaningful. It needs to be... Uh, best when it's imposed by someone that's not yourself um but in something like weight loss or you know fitness 
if you're not working with a professional that you're is is working to keep you accountable and you've just got yourself coming up with some arbitrary deadline of oh i want to be able to you know uh, bench my body weight in two months um yeah you can just shift the goalposts on that uh, there's no one that's going to judge you if you don't um but it is possible to set meaningful and impose meaningful deadlines on yourself but that usually involves you interacting with the outside world so for example 30-day challenges are a big thing in in, in the fitness world um, and that 30-day challenge it forces you to sign up to some sort of program it gives you a deadline it gives you a deadline that's closer to you than your higher bigger long-term fitness goal and if that's weight loss and weight loss goals you know could take 18 months to get to where you want to be um, in, a, in a safe way, you know, you can, you can just starve yourself and get there. Sure. But you know, you're going to do a lot of damage doing that. And so to, um, to break up that 18 months, a year and a half into, you know, a few different 30 day chunks, um, can be really powerful. And interestingly, what that does is it changes the balance of our impulsivity. You know, if you think of that, you know, that example of someone that's going to sit on the couch and, uh, you know, scroll on their phone, both go to the gym, if they're, 20 days into a 30 day challenge and they're on track, uh, then it's not going to be as tempting to sit on the couch as it, as it was going to be on the first day, right? Uh, when they still have another 29 days of, of the challenge to go. And so, you know, one way that you can strong arm your own impulsivity is just to work within a structure and make yourself accountable to programs, to people, to short term goals that give you much more kind of an incremental, um, you know, stepwise journey to, to your bigger goal. And that's got this kind of roundabout benefit of also helping you with the clarity. If that, if you've got your whole journey mapped out of, I'm going to do this 30 day challenge and I'm going to do this and I'm going to work towards this half marathon with my friends, then, you know, all of a sudden that's six months later. Um, and you know, the steps that you're likely going to have to follow to help you get towards your goal. So, you know, there's lots of these little techniques and strategies that can help tick multiple boxes that ultimately tend to influence or be initial causes of your procrastination. But just doing one thing doesn't necessarily mean that you, you don't you know, tap into the others. And I think one benefit of thinking in terms of these four domains of expectancy, value, impulsivity, and a deadline is that it gives you an idea of what you might be missing. And so quite often I talk to people and more often than not, it's just one. People be like, yep, I got a lot of value. There's nothing I care more about in my life. I'm not really impulsive. If, uh, uh, most things, yeah, I could probably, you know, I could probably uh, convert more precipitative moments to, you know, working towards uh, my goal or going to the gym, but I'm not too bad. I don't really beat myself up for that. I do these 30 day challenges, um, fine. But ultimately, I don't really, I'm not clear on exactly what I need to do to get to where I need to be. I'm not super confident that the diet that I'm supposed to be following is actually the right diet for me. And so for them, it might be, that's what they need to work on and that's what's letting them down. And that's why they might be procrastinating on some things. So it can be helpful to just think in these terms as a bit of a checklist or an audit of how's this client going or how am I going and what can I do to make sure that I'm not letting myself down. We talk about motivation as being intrinsic or extrinsic, but um, from your description, it seems that the deadlines could be as well intrinsic or extrinsic. And as you, as you say, some people might be able to uh, benefit more from the extrinsic one in which you just have to show up for a 30, 30 days class 
or challenge mm. and some others will need to work on on the intrinsic ones the ones which are requiring more planning and things such as you know i want to lose four kilograms in in one month mm. Mm. Yeah, the, the line between intrinsic and extrinsic, I don't know that they're really clear categories. I, I like uh, talking about this, this thing that a colleague of mine once called logging, uh, which is this idea that your motivation or your inertia for behavior tends to work on a logarithmic scale, which is all very sciencey and mathematics. Uh, sorry about that. But basically what I mean in simple terms is if you sit on the couch uh, for 30 seconds, that it might be easy to easy ish to get up after 30 seconds, but after a minute it's harder. And after two minutes, it's even harder. And it's not harder. Like, you know, 30 seconds to a minute is twice as hard. And then a minute to two minutes is twice as hard. Again, it kind of works on this logarithmic scale of like a factor of 10 where, you know, if you sit down for 30 seconds, it's maybe one times harder to get up after a minute, but after two minutes, it's 10 times harder. And after three minutes or four minutes, it's a hundred times harder because you've got this kind of momentum that kind of keeps you anchored there. And that happens both for good and for evil, right? And so if you think about having an initial extrinsically motivating external event of a 30 day challenge, and let's say that you're going to be socially embarrassed because you posted or you told all your friends that you're going to be able to do this thing after 30 days. Sure, there might be extrinsic motivation in that, but as soon as you start and as soon as you get in the groove and as soon as you get to the gym and you, you get into a good rhythm, you also start logging positive behaviors as well. Um, and that, so it becomes, it, it can trigger the intrinsic motivation of the process. Um, so they, they work, they work together quite well, I think. Um, but if you just try to uh, operate solely on intrinsically motivating uh, you know, exercise, I think you're, <laughs> you, you're going to quickly find that uh, no uh, exercise is intrinsically motivating enough to get you out of bed at 4am in the morning, uh, unless you're a Superman or Andre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously it makes a lot of sense that both of them are combined and they interact with each other. Um, as you say, momentum plays a bigger role. 100%, 100%. Um, and it's, it's hard to, to hack that, you know, as an individual. Um, and it's hard to help people with that. And like, like I was saying earlier, that's, that's really what got me into this as a practitioner because, I mean, one, I didn't have anywhere near the, the tool belt uh, of, well, the, the tool bag of the number of tricks that I've got now um, back then when I was initially working in, in rehab. Um, but also, you know, what you were describing before about uh, clients sending you photos and videos throughout their week, that's the level of just micro engagement that we all need to stay on track with something that's really important to us, like weight loss, which, you know, if you didn't have that level of, you know, just a couple of seconds, send a, send a photo, go, don't think about it. Um, it's on your mind, but it's not obsessive, obsessively kind of overwhelming your your mind frame or your mind state that's the level of connectivity that you need sustainably to pursue your goal stay on track and say not get distracted by you know let's say you get a cold and you're out of action for two or three days uh, but then you know that's got its own momentum and you don't get back on the you don't get back on the wagon uh, you don't get back in the gym if you'd been messaging Andre, you know, pictures of your cookies for the past three days while you were sick, you know, you're going to stay connected and you maintain that momentum. And it's, it's so hard to do in these discrete 
one session a week personal training sessions um, for, you know, I'm a psychologist. It's so hard to do. I often see people on a fortnightly basis uh, and I see them for an hour or a fortnight and we can really get them amped up and motivated in that hour. But it's, that's not the problem. The problem yeah. is all of the other hours between those two sessions. Um, so it's those micro, these small connection points pulling on these range of strategies that I've found to be most successful in actually helping people overcome procrastination or your stay motivated in these goals that often we kind of let slip. Yeah. So from a coaching perspective, that's why I think a lot of even PTs coaches start to promote more the online kind of coaching because it does provide people which, with much more accountability. And mm. at the end of the day, as you say, it's just one hour in which you are doing the session with the client. It's one hour in which you are counseling the client. You, you still have only 24 more hours in that specific day, not talking about the whole week. So mm. Um, mm. do you think that's the direction in which we are moving? Because obviously during the lockdown, we, we saw that quite, quite a lot. Do you think that there are people which will be um, benefiting more for one-to-one, face-to-face, one hour a week? Because in coaching just from a, let's say, biomechanical perspective, some people benefit more from having their form being analyzed at that specific moment and being corrected and mm-hmm. uh, some others because they have the, the base, they could make it online fully without needing that. So is it the same in terms of the psychological counseling and uh, the things mm. that you do? Uh, look, I think um, the personal trainers and, and how people like yourself have adapted to the the virtual opportunities of COVID uh, are light years ahead of psychologists. Um, We're confined to, well, at least in Australia and what uh, the public health system will um, provide reimbursement for. And that's very archaic and structured and one-to-one face-to-face. It took quite a lot of lobbying in order for us to be able to provide consultation, psychological service virtually, Um, let alone these kind of micro uh, sessions and asking people to, you know, so I might have, cognitive behavior therapy thought logs that I want people to complete every day as their homework. Um, I often ask people to send them to me, but I don't get paid for my time to review them every day. Uh, If I did, I think the level of service that I'd be able to provide to my clients would just be exponentially greater. Uh, you know, I'd be able to catch people if they were going off the rails much sooner. Um, there would be a, a much clearer expectation that, well, not only can they send it to, to me, but I'm going to read it and I'm going to comment on, I'm going to help them. Um, so I wish that was the direction that psychology was going. Um, I don't see it happening formally. Uh, I think that, you know, coaches uh, in the fitness space like yourself, that, are able to leverage that kind of balance between face-to-face intensive personal sessions um, and virtual, or if the you know, logistics of the situation mean that you can only do virtual, um, I think you can add tremendous value just doing virtual. I think there are people that are going to want to prefer just one-on-one face-to-face and never see you between sessions. Um, but I think, you know, that there's a, a huge majority of people that would benefit and prefer that mixed methodology of part in person and part virtual kind of micro transactions um, of, of coaching. 
and if only psychology could move as fast as as fitness um no, i think i think we'd all well at least yeah the mental mental health care system uh, in in a lot of our countries would be you know a lot more advanced if we could get there yeah it's interesting to see because you know the requirements are increasing mental health seems to be a bigger and bigger problem because of lockdown because of the pandemic and everything and it's sad you know because we are doing what you could potentially do but it's not fully legal yet and you would have a significant a more significant amount of knowledge to ask the right questions because from everything that we discussed today i'm i i, I like to believe that i ask those questions all the time you know and they are mm. asked all the time and maybe on a on a daily basis sometimes and someone like you who has studied it has done a phd in this subject is struggling from a legal <laughs> point of view to to these things mm. i think um like part of part of the reason i created the app was out of frustration uh you know frustration with my initial rehabilitation clients that i couldn't stay in contact with uh between sessions uh also i, I face the same thing in in private practice as a psychologist now and so building this app and I don't see users of the app face to face at all. It's pure, pure digital. Um, maybe there'll be one point in the future where some clients would like to have, uh, you know, a, a mixed service where they do, let's say once a month, personal psychology of motivation, motivation, um, sort of weight loss check-ins, uh, but then also use the app between sessions. That might be something that I'd like to experimentally trial to see if I could make it viable. Um, but just the value of being able to focus purely on the psychology using the research and using what we know works uh, in as little as 60 seconds a day. For me, that kind of has helped scratch that itch and the feedback that we get from users um, is phenomenal, frankly. Uh, the way that they describe you know, these long-held habits and behaviors that are entrenched um, slowly changing just by, you know, through the, through the power of reflecting on the right things at the right times um, is huge. So I think, you know, I think the, the weight loss app that been well, it's built and is out there now, I think hopefully that's just the start of, of things to come in the space that leverage that kind of the, the regular brief coaching type interactions um, and I'd like to think that that would work as well for fitness. Um, but I, I think I, I might've mentioned earlier that for me, in order to get these to work and to be really effective, I find that I have to make them hyper specific to a goal. And the challenge that I come up with of having uh, creating an app or, or a service for a pure uh, like fitness based um, app using the same strategies is that people's fitness goals are so diverse uh, and so varied and very difficult to quantify or if they are quantifiable they're quite broad and i think i haven't quite cracked that nut of being able to develop a one-size-fits-all fitness app um, quite to the degree that i i feel like i can make a weight loss app that's not exactly one size fits all i mean it kind of is but it's still able to seem to the user to be very, very unique and still 
meet them exactly where they're at. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, I think this stuff is the future. I think I've got a long way to go to, um, you know, to, uh, implement or roll out this kind of approach psychologically. Um, and I think you guys are, have boots on the ground and you, you probably have a bit of an upper hand. And if, if all I have for, for the contemplate and the app is probably the, the expertise of exactly the right questions. And I better, I better make sure I keep moving quickly. <laughs> so you guys don't come up and overtake me. Um, you know, because think- you know, it's, it's so important to do this stuff. The knowledge is there. The value is there, especially after we had this chat. I see the the meaning and the value behind it. I'm pretty sure it's going to get far. Obviously, time is the most important variable, but I'm pretty sure you're going to get far with it. I just wanted to thank you for this podcast, Jason. And um, if you can just let our listeners know where they can find you on social media. I know you haven't, haven't been really active on Instagram, but anything else that you use at the moment? Yeah, uh, look, Instagram's probably the best. I'm not a social media kind of guy. Uh, I was never one to sit on the couch for five minutes and start scrolling. Um, but I, I've got this very baby, baby Instagram that looks like it's created by a 35-year-old nerd. Um, so be kind to it. Um, but the, the, the Instagram handle is at Contemplate Weight Loss. Uh, the app is called Contemplate Weight Loss. Uh, you can find it at contemplateweightloss.com. Uh, I also have a personal website that I've recently launched, uh, which is Dr. Dr. Jason Wessel. I'm sure Andre can put it in the show notes. So drjasonwessel.com, uh, where I have more of my procrastination specific resources. I also talk a little bit about the weight loss app. Um, I have a few blogs and I have big dreams and ambitions to, to build that out um, more specifically to help people with procrastination in the moment. But that again is it's in its infancy stages. So, um, you know, you feel free to reach out through any of those things. There's a contact form on my website. Um, you know, if you, if you want to chat or if anything um, that Andre and I have talked about have, has resonated with you, uh, as you might be able to tell, I, I can talk about this stuff until, my teeth fall out as I've told Andre before. Um, so, you know, it's been, it's been a long journey. It's been about 10 years since I started working in rehabilitation that I've kind of on, been on this road. So um, yeah, I love it. And I love the opportunity to be able to talk to you about it, Andre. And uh, really I'm so, so happy to hear just how much of the approach is comes naturally to you and is intuitive to you and, and, you know, how much your work and the way that you structure your services already leverages a lot of what we know is, is really, really useful to help people stay on track. And it's, 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 a, it's a hard reality of helping people, um, but it's so important to focus on. So it's, it's really awesome to see, yeah, see you doing such a good job with it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, as a last thought, is one of the elements which is still underestimated even on the social side of it in online coaching and everything that we do online, we see people which are just recording anything from a biomechanical point of view. We record weights, we record how many repetitions you do, but the psychological side of it is still so much underestimated. So thank you very much for today. I'm pretty sure that we're going to do this again at some point in the future. Thank you very much, Jason. I look forward to it. Thanks so much for your time, Andre.